Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. That time of the week again, Wednesday, 2.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and just so that they're not forgotten, 3.30 p.m. Central and 1.30 p.m. Pacific. And if you're in Alaska, hope you're having a good lunch while you're hanging out and watching us. Do the math My yourself, name. though. Do the math yourself. I think that they're one hour behind Pacific Time. I, I, I seem to remember that from the time I lived there. You really feel... Like the news has happened, like mm-hmm. already happened, and you're just like catching up like within five minutes of waking up in Alaska. It's a lot of just like scrambling. I lived up there during the uh, 
2008 presidential election and financial collapse mm. of, uh, of the world markets. And I remember just being like, I shouldn't get on my plane to go back to the lower 48. Like everything seems to be okay up here. It's a little cold, but you know, being I've behind never the been. times is good. I want to go. It's amazing. It's mm-hmm. totally untapped. And it's, um, you know, it feels like America, but in the same way, just wait for this. In the same way that going to European cities like Amsterdam feels like the West, but it feels different, Alaska is that to living out West here in America. Yeah, well, you like Fish that has segue? actually been mm, to Amsterdam, I like that unlike Alaska. So. Fish has been to Amsterdam. They have, they sing about Alaska a bit, but they've been to Amsterdam three different times. And we today on the Helping Friendly podcast live are going to talk about one of those appearances because it's about to celebrate its 25th anniversary. That I'm really is crazy. Really, really old. I've done time zones and I've done math and I can tell you the, a little bit of the history of the Netherlands if you'd like, but I don't think that's what we're here for. <laughs> oh, thank you. Please no. <laughs> I dropped out it's of school a, for a reason, man. It's a fascinating <laughs> history. You're talking maritime battles. You're talking liberalization. You're talking tulips. Bicycles. You're talking incredible art. It's an amazing place. You're talking weed? But you're talking weed? I mean, that's that? generally the liberalization of the world, you know? Um, but my name is Brian Brinkman. I'm here with my friends Megan and Jonathan. How are you both doing here today on this fine Wednesday afternoon, wherever you find yourselves in the time, uh, the time zones that I listed off? Well, time is an illusion, so I'll just say I'm fine. You're fine. I'm doing great too. Good, good, good. What's happening for you guys this week? What's happening right now? What's what's kind of the big thing on tap for you both this week? I'm going to see Courtney Barnett tonight with my daughter, my 18 year old awesome. daughter, the middle child, and this will be her first time at the 9:30 club. And, oh wow! Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. Um, you know, masked and vaxxed and all the, the regulations are in place. So I'm trying to like trust that it will go as well as it did when I was there uh, in November, December, November, whenever it was for uh, Dinosaur Jr. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I haven't seen Courtney Barnett. I know she's uh, great live. I have it on good authority from good friends. And uh, Piper's a big fan. And so uh, it's going to be fun. I'm a big fan awesome. too, but it's nice that she is. I loved her last record. Absolutely loved mm-hmm. it. And I've got to imagine her live. It's, a, it's pretty impressive that she's able to do a tour right now. Is she still living in Australia or is she stateside at this point? I, don't, I, I honestly don't know couldn't say, but uh, yeah, here we are. I'm glad that that is a tour that is happening in the early part of 2022. That is a, that is a very good sign. I've been doing the texting with my show going buddy out here Um we have a lot of concerts coming up in the next six weeks, and it feels really good to have that happening on the horizon once again and feel good about it. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. That's kind of where I am, too. I'm, like, booking all the shows for the spring. And it feels great. I'm going to go see Waxahachie next week here in New York. Nice. Yes, I love Waxahachie. My husband's a huge fan. I saw her this summer at Mass Mocha outside. Just awesome with uh she was with kevin morby and i'm gonna see her next week and i love her and i love brooklyn steel it's such a fun venue 
And yeah, I'm just starting to book all the shows for like everything that's coming in like May and April. I'm getting, I'm getting super excited. It's going to be a busy spring. And I'm just waiting on those fish summer tour dates, but I'm trying to be patient. It's not working. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to book some April stuff myself and uh, very excited, very excited for shows. I think they've got to be coming in the next week or so. We'll probably be talking about this, I'm guessing, by the next time that we all hang out. I have oh, That'd be awesome. I'm not, I'm not reporting anything. Don't aggregate me, please. But um, I, I, I just have a feeling that <laughs> when you start to get the Dave Matthews tour dates released, yes. you know, there's, there is a connection there uh, behind mm-hmm. the scenes if you if you weren't aware. And uh, yeah. one comes out, they kind of test the market, and then the other one comes out. And I'm curious to see what they do this year because I'm, I'm taking a family vacation at the end of June into early July. And the rumored dates I saw – we're going to be in June to July, kind of like a mirror of what we saw in 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to be in a remote part of North Carolina. It's going to be absolutely beautiful, but I'm going to have to cast some shows. And so I'm trying to figure out the family logistics of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Murphy's law being what it is, I find that uh, with the broke down pod, as soon as I release an episode, then they release the or announce the new box set or the the Dave's pick. Yeah. It always yeah. comes a- immediately after I release an episode. So, um, pretty sure they will come right on our heels with the the tour dates on a on a Thursday or something. So everybody will have time to soak them in, figure out how disappointed they are, excited they are, all of the above. Because there's always some of both when you pull the community, and then we can talk mm-hmm. about it like five days later when it feels like old news, but it'll still be, still be fresh and exciting for us. <laughs> I guess the most newsworthy thing that's happening in the fish world right now is Trey Anastasio has started music lessons on Instagram. It's um, good that which... he's finally taking some, don't you think? It is. <laughs> I mean, if he wants to take this music thing seriously. I just love his like quiet, hushed morning voice. He's like, hello, yeah. everybody. It's 7 a.m. <laughs> You know, it's it's one of the interesting things about Trey that I never really considered until the last couple of years. He gave an interview, this must have been sometime in the mid-2010s, where he talked about living in kind of a remote part of uh, Vermont during the 1990s and how he and his wife would always have consistently NPR on at like a hush. like So like it was just that background chatter. And I was like, man, that just like, it's like the Danish idea, like like Higgy or Huggy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, like a sense of like comfort. You Hig, know? yeah. You, you know, I'm mean? I, I'm totally butchering the term, but like, it felt like that vibe of like you just have <laughs> distant radio on in the background, and so I started doing that, and now I watch like Trey at like seven o'clock in the morning with like a fire, and I'm like, man, I need to move into a house where I have a fireplace because like having a fire in the morning. <laughs> seems so like the dude just for for everything that you think about him standing on stage playing at a ridiculous volume like a hairy hood peaking jam you then see him in these like very quiet peaceful moments you're like oh man that guy gets it he he gets the vibe outside of the concert it's it's pretty amazing but i've been enjoying them. they're 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 really i don't know uh they're really insightful and they're really kind of humbling in a sense to have someone who plays music on that level talk to you at, at, at this at this uh, kind of pace. It's great. I'm a little behind. I've only watched the first one. I've been kind of uh, preoccupied working on some other things, my own music and 
stuff. And uh, I, I just, I, I'm kind of hoping to sit down and get through, catch up with them uh, in the next couple of days. They're fun. It's a good, it's a good 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's solid stuff. Um, well, that, that's part of it is that, you know, like if it were a two minute video, I'd have watched it, but I want to commit that moment to, uh, to hearing and, and, yeah. and ingesting. I really enjoyed the first one. I, it was great advice. You know, it was very yeah. important. I remember my band teacher was, uh, when I was in middle school and actually sixth grade, I started with him and he was very into rhythm and he, even though none of us i think or very few of us were going to go on and do high school marching band he had us in middle school uh marching because he said this is an important method in which you can think about mm. rhythm and the movement and the and so yeah i mean he was all about teaching even us woodwind people you know a good rhythm and uh it's it's cool to see that I've heard him talk about his drummer, drum teacher, not letting him use drums and stuff in the past. And it's cool to hear him talk about breaking down rhythms and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing the foundations of it is, it, it, it's one of those things that makes this whole experience an endless rabbit hole because it makes you just like return to <laughs> what he's thinking about and what he's, you know, when he's upstate or up, up on stage playing. But um, yeah, we, uh, we, sh we should definitely continue to provide updates on those Instagram lessons because they are a ton of fun. Um, I have one final question for y'all before we jump into our first ad read and then jump into the actual topic of the show, which is 217-1997, a fantastic concert from Amsterdam in the Netherlands, a country that I cannot say enough good things about, but if you want me to continue rambling on, I will. I'm happy to. I'm happy to. But, you know, hey, I'll man, I got a concert this. to get to, so let's go. You do. You do. Yeah. You do. <laughs> <laughs> really quick question, just like as simple of an answer as you can. Do you think that Fish will ever be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And, sub-question, do you think it matters? Jonathan? I don't know. And I don't think it matters. Meg? Yes, they will. And yes, it matters because they are one of the best American rock bands ever. And if they're not, it's just completely criminal and absolutely short-sighted. Don't you worry. The rock be... hall is nothing if not criminal and short-sighted. <laughs> totally. Like you can't, I mean, don't they have the hot dog hanging in the rock and roll hall of fame right now? Yep. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to me anyway. Yes, they will be. And it's well overdue. I think that they will. And I think it's going to happen when we all get to a point where like, I don't even care anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm already there. Why, so maybe next time. Well, you're there. I'm talking about the general public. I don't know. I, I'm looking at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the same way I look at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Where I'm just like, if you're not going to let these guys in, you know, and not like offer an explanation. Like you're not, it's not a hall of fame. So um, it's just another year where we are the most overlooked fan base, even though we so are weird. consistently funding one of the top touring acts in all of live music. So you are welcome. All you industry execs out there who just can bank on 35 to 40 sold out concerts a, net, a year from fish. Um, 
let's jump into the main topic of the episode. But before we do that, ha, there's one more thing we have to do. We want to shout out our friends at Sunset Lake CBD. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business which ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door, all of your doors, mine, yours, anyone out there watching. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp or CBD with a product for everyone, 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 everyone. They offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD coffee crafted to help with stress, aches, and pains. All those things can be solved in this sense. It's amazing. Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm. I will remind you again to your door. Visit sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code HFPOD for 20% off your purchase. Once again, at sunsetlakecbd.com, promo code HFPOD pod i love sunset lake i will just once again advocate for their pre-rolls they are amazing they do everything that you need with all of the craziness going on upstairs but sometimes i like the crazy you know i like the the head high of thc but sometimes i just want the buzz and feeling good speaking of the buzz speaking <laughs> of feeling good let's talk amsterdam we are going to be celebrating throughout the year 2022 the 20th, 20th, 25th anniversary of the year 1997. We'll be doing a bunch of special episodes throughout this year. And this is our first one. So old right now. Sorry. So, it's feeling so old. really old when you say it's that. Okay, every Jonathan. Time. I'm right yeah, with you. It's okay. I know, but we've never it's, looked better. But I look it. So <laughs> it, it's weird, man. Like I was not a fish going age in 1997, but like I can distinctly remember 1997. And it's very strange for me to have that experience. Like <laughs> to really think back on like who I, like I know who like I have albums that I bought in 1997. You know what I mean? Like it was a big year for me in terms of discovering alternative rock radio, starting to buy albums that weren't being promoted to me on MTV, mm -hmm. starting to really rebel against my parents, but I was still just like oh, a young, you know, so it, it, was, it was adorable. Oh, baby Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about a band that was rebelling against who they had been for the previous 14 years of their career. Fish in 1997. We're going to dive into big picture stuff here in the second segment of the show, but let's let's break this show down. So this is the third night of the, I believe the third night of the winter tour, the winter European tour. They had wrapped up their New Year's Eve run in Boston, Massachusetts. Five, six weeks, seven weeks earlier. Who's counting? I knew some math at the start of this episode. And they open up this show with the debut of Soul Shakedown Party. What are you guys' thoughts? Kind of just generally about this first set and this this opener, Soul Shakedown Party. This opener is such a vibe. I mean, yeah. to me, it's like we're here, we're chill, we're gonna like ease into this party. It's just a total vibe. It's also like a statement. Like, we're going to have a soul shakedown party tonight. Like, to me, anytime they open with that, I'm like, it's on. Like, they're ready to play. They're feeling good. I think it's – I love it as an opener. Because then they go into Divided Sky, which is like, okay, we're here to play some good fucking music tonight. You know, they sound like so tight in this Divided Sky. And that quiet part is just like so incredible in the bar because it becomes completely silent and you can tell somehow that they're in a really small room. 
It's just yeah. like so cool. And then you hear some people yell and Trey does the one note and then everybody gets completely silent again. It's just like people are listening really, really well, but it's a different kind of listening than people do in the States. You know, they're coming off this, like their first full arena tour in the fall. And so I think this is a chance for them to actually breathe and, and play a different way. It's, I, I love it. I mean, they sound like 1996 in the beginning, like a really, really good 1996 show. I feel like that's what the first set sounds like, but they sound hungry. I think like Wilson's awesome. Trey's like really tearing it up, shredding really strong through Gaiuti, Timber, Billy Breeze, just beautiful. And then the set ends with like this really well-played and fun Llama, Jin, and Golgi. I mean, I think this is a great set. It's super fun. These guys are on fire at the gates, right? So yeah. would you say, Brian, third show? I think that's right. It's, I think it's the fourth, maybe. Fourth? Is it the fourth? I think it's the fourth. Math know. is for employees. The, first um, the The point is, though, is that they, you know, you figure they probably took a couple weeks after New Year's, a little vacation, a little time off, family, what have you. It's 97. Most of them didn't really have families yet. You know, but then they get back together. They start rehearsing because this is back when they rehearsed. Then they fly to Europe and play a couple shows. They're not bad shows, but we're not here to talk about those. And then they come to Amsterdam, where uh, the year before, and Meg, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were there. I was there. They played a I – I want you to talk about that for a second before I pick up on this set because I think it's important. I know we have context and stuff later, but it's important right here because I feel like this – the opener – is an acknowledgement of where they are, but the rest of the set is more of a statement about this isn't last time y'all. <laughs> exactly. This is a redemption show. Yes. I think that like the first time they played Amsterdam, they were like those 16 year old boys or 18 year old who go to Amsterdam and they're like, we're in Amsterdam. And they just like, go crazy. Probably exactly what I was doing. I was 19. I, you know, all day, just like smoking, like partying. And then they played a three show, a three set show and the whole second set unfinished songs. Like not one song is finished in that whole second set. I did not know it at the time. I had no idea. I have journal notes where I'm like, this is such an awesome show. Like, look at this set list. Like I was like writing it down, listening to the tape the next day. And I was like, this is unbelievable. But like, I didn't know. Cause I was just like they were, but it was just, I mean, that place was sloppy. Everybody in it was sloppy. The band was sloppy. Fishman was like sitting on the edge of the stage during set breaks, smoking. I mean, it was a real, real party throwdown vibe. It was not at all. I also think they were really in 1996 at that time, you know, feeling the pressures of who they are were becoming. I think the dead scene had come on. They were leading into their, you know, Clifford Ball. And then they had like their first big full arena tour in 96, where there was like, you know, concerns about whether they could fill those arenas or not. So I think they, that 996 tour was just like an absolute, let's just like blow off some steam, have some fun, party, play some music, hang with fans. So I think that this time they came back like, we're 1997 fish now. Like we're actually like on top and we we really were tight like i think they came back with some redemption in mind for sure they really did and they and they yeah. deliver they, they yeah. everything you mentioned the highlights in this first set the guy Udi, by the way rips mm-hmm. it's it rips uh llama's fire there's a nice little jam in bathtub gin mm-hmm. that kind of hints at what we would hear later in the year um doesn't quite get there it's not 
you know, no, I, top the, tier, the but it's pretty is, great. The gin is like, as I was listening to it, I heard bits of like the distortion from 94 and 95, where Trey is playing it mm-hmm. kind of playing in this cacophonous style. But then what changes it, it, Fishman has this disco beat that you've never really heard in Fish before. And even like if you go back to the 1231-96 show in the third set, they play Down with Disease, and you can hear for like one of the first times Trey is just like living by the wah. And for like a four-minute period of that Down with Disease, it sounds like 1997 kind of ripping itself out of the body of 1996-ish. <laughs> but the thing it's missing is Fishman on that disco beat, which is that like that thing that brings it all together as they move through the rest of this winter tour, the Hamburg show that is so famous that came out on Slipstitch and Pass, the summer Europe tour, the summer, you know, summer tour, and then like the cherry on top, which is that fall 97 tour, which we'll get to in 10 or 11 months. And I cannot wait to talk about it again because it's <laughs> just glorious. But, you know, it's interesting when you talk about there's basically seven months between their last show in Amsterdam and here. And I think about the first time I went to Amsterdam, I was living in Utrecht in the Netherlands for like four months. And we went up to, we went up to uh, Amsterdam our first weekend, because of course we're in college. You have to go up to Amsterdam. Yep. And I had the exact (laughs) stereotypical experience that everybody has in Amsterdam, even though you can do everything in Amsterdam in Utrecht and other cities around the Netherlands. We like went 150 in, in Amsterdam. You like freaked and, out in the Van Gogh museum. You like did well, all those things. <laughs> so hold that because Van Gogh is important because I didn't How'd go I to the Van Gogh museum until like my third or fourth visit. And when I went there and I realized Van Gogh didn't become famous until he was like in his forties. And like, it was very, it was, or he might even have been later in life. Like it was, he was, he, he was a struggling artist who didn't become famous until later in life. And I realized like, you know, there's a long game to be played here. And the beauty of Amsterdam is not cashing in on night one. It's letting like the vibe of the city <laughs> live with you. And it's the journey is the destination type of thing. And I hear in that seven twelve ninety six show, Fish being, like you said, an 18 year old in Amsterdam. It's like, ah, oh, I can buy pot. Exactly. And then just like going crazy. <laughs> and you hear here, and it's so interesting that Soul Shakedown Party is the song that introduces us because that, like Makasupa, which will blossom later in the year, the 11 version, oh my God. These are reggae hints that like they're spacious, they're open, they're laid back, they're kind of goofy in some sense because why is Fish playing Soul Shakedown Party? Let's not ask, let's not get into that. It's just <laughs> like the groove is there. And these are the songs that help to point the way forward. Funk and reggae. It's it's so interesting that that is what would ultimately help fish That's transition. The, the forward. key word is is the groove. Yeah, and, the groove. And also, I think though that they know that, and this is one of the key differences between this show and the ninety six show is that they know that this is a party, but they're here to play. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is partying, so they're you know, initiating the party for everybody. And then they, and then they perform. Yeah. And, uh, can we jump to set two? Is it too fast? Well, I want to say one last thing. Say, about say what? One, one last one? thing. Only one. Billy okay. breathes, man. Huh. Oh, it's yeah. so beautiful. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like it's patient. 
it's spacious. It's like got this life bubbling from it, but it's also like this dark ballad. It's got all the, uh, it's just what a gorgeous song and one of the best performances of mm-hmm. maybe the best performance of Billy Breeze I've ever heard. It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. Yeah, I love this version. I love also thinking about it. Like I was hearing it so much in like fall 95 when I was going to shows and it was so different because it was brand new and hearing it like a version like this where it's really like matured is it's awesome. Yeah, there's yeah, a couple of songs tip. that uh fall right into that uh in this mm-hmm. in the second set, right? Let's do uh, the second set then. So, this is a this is like a fully wow. fluid, fully flowing second set. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, the set's kind of a big deal. Like okay. I, I wanna I wanna say <laughs> I I love Coil as an opener. Because you get everything you get from Coil. It's a nice version. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, mm. And great meltdown from Paige on the piano. But then the band comes back in and kind of flows us into Down With Disease, you know. That's awesome. That just sounds so good. And and then we have this fire, Down With Disease. Now, I'll let you guys talk at length about it, but I want to highlight one piece of this Down With Disease, which is the about 13 to 14 minutes mark. They're all but playing Undermind. The groove in that <laughs> is straight up Undermind. It's just, I mean, they're not exactly, you know, it's not note, it's not the song. The song's not written yet, but they're playing a groove that is super close to that, which is very cool, very unusual. Um, then... Uh, but the whole jam is outstanding. Again, I'll let you guys talk on some of those details. And then and then they go into Carini. It's the first Carini, right? Yes, the debut. Weird, slow, relative to what we might think of these days. Uh, and then it's, and it's mostly a jam. And then again, uh, right around the 13-minute mark, this is, I texted you all today as I was listening to it again today. And it, the, the, the most, like intense jamming so just like i was jumping up and down i was in a good mood already and then i'm listening to this i got it blasting in my kitchen i'm like ah it's raging (laughs) and just loving this music so good and then uh the beautiful taste this taste is outstanding like Mm -hmm. this is again this is the 95 song right that is now come around it's changed a lot in 95 and now it's settled in and this version is terrific and there is a bit at the end there's probably about eight to ten seconds at the end like if you're listening to the live fish version or the official physical thing god help you um there's about eight to ten seconds where trey is playing both taste and down with disease like back and forth between bars before he uh, the rest of the band joins him on down with disease that's super cool but everything precedes it is great Quick little disease, you know, kind of reprise, closer. Awesome that they come back and land it. That makes up for all the unfinished, right, the year before? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, then, they're like, <laughs> right, there you go. Look what and we're doing Su- now. Susie Greenberg, pump. Rocking pump. version. And then a gorgeous Caspian to outro the set. I think, we're, were we just talking about Caspian's closing sets uh, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago? We were. Just, oh, yeah. Just gorgeous perfect example of how this can work yeah yeah it's a great set closer here and it's this set so i listened to this show 
texted you guys about this. I listened to the show with the mindset of listening to Fish 1996 playing this. And part of it was like, I've always heard this show is kind of the first, it's not the first, but the first 1997 show. And then I was thinking to myself, like, well, just three months, two months earlier, they're playing fall 1996. Like, you don't just, like, change the year and suddenly become mm-hmm. a new person. And this goal that the band had was something that was going to take time. It was going to take effort. It was going to take work. And so I'm listening to this show. And one thing that blew me away was, like, the first 10 minutes of the Down with Disease sound like a 1996 Down with Disease. It's just shredding. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, tray high energy. And it's around that 13-minute mark that he starts to slow down. Paige comes in with some noise. He really focuses on the clav. Mike, at some point, plays an effect that like I don't think anyone had ever heard on his <laughs> bass before. It's, it's, I, it might be the envelope filter. I don't know what it is, but like it's <laughs> weird and alien-esque. Um, I was thinking to myself, it sounded like, because I was, I was sitting there like, they've never played this kind of music in front of an audience before. And this is the kind of music that throughout fall 96, they kept saying to each other, you can read about it in the fish book. They kept Mm -hmm. saying to each other, like, we have to be patient. Trey can't be the person who's leading every single jam. This has to be more democratic. And I was thinking this sounds like the Clifford ball sound check. And this is all music that they have played before. They just haven't played in front of a pain audience and how exhilarating it must have been to have that first moment where they fall into this kind of a jam and the audience is totally captivated and they keep playing off of each other and they build into this Karini, which then again does the exact same thing. It builds into this peak. And then the last half of that jam, it's so quiet. It starts to resemble 1998 and it's just mm-hmm. spacious. And it's what we were talking about in set one with like soul shakedown and Makasupa. It's the lessons of reggae. It's the lessons of funk. It's the lessons of experimentation that just pay off in real time. And it's so exciting to hear. I'd yeah, really I would love was... to know what kind of records Trey and the, maybe in the band at large are listening to around this time. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if that's information yeah. that is attainable. <laughs> I know I was actually reading the fish book last night again to kind of remind myself of what they were thinking of then. And they were definitely making a conscious effort to change how they were jamming. And I was wondering that too, like, what are they listening to? Like they're obviously taking more risks and doing, it's like when you've been doing something for so long and it's worked really well, it's really hard to like stop doing that and try something new, especially in front of people. So it's clear why they went to Europe, right? They've got smaller rooms. They have, fans over there, but you know, it's a much lower stakes. And so they can actually try things out and take risks. And I feel like this whole second set, you can hear them doing that. Like this Karini is just, it's, it's totally gets super weird. And you can hear them at one point, they're like moaning and singing over it. It's like super <laughs> driving and intense. And then there's those like trippy sounds sound like I texted you over the weekend. It sounds like a flock of demented space birds are like attacking, <laughs> like, and it's just like repeating over and over again. And then that Trace song came playing. the next year, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Trey starts playing this like lick over and over again. And then Fishman comes in with the drums, this beat, and then it starts to get all funky. And it's just so good. And then it fades out and it turns into this like really pretty beautiful piano it's like trilling on the drums it's just this jam like goes everywhere to me it's not the most like 
continuous or like connected big picture jam, but it's super interesting and cool to think about it in the context of where they were at this time. I really yeah. think this is, I listened to this twice in the last few days. It's really interesting. It's really worth a listen. It's interesting to me because like 97 and this part of 97 reminds me in a lot of cases of summer 95 where stylistically yes. it's very different, mm -hmm. but they're almost saying we're just going like, we're going to entertain you paying customer, but we're also <laughs> up here like trying to get to an artistic breakthrough. And so if you don't necessarily like the music that we play for the next 10 minutes, like you're going to kind of have to be patient. We'll play this song that you want to hear in, you know, once we finish this jam, but we've got to <laughs> see if this is actually doable for us. And if you think about 95, by the time you get, like personally, Summer 95 is my favorite fish tour ever, but I know for a lot of people that sound is abrasive and it's really challenging. When you get to December, it's this like condensed version of what they were playing in the summer. And it's very, it, it's more accessible. It's it's more melodic. It's, it's more fun in some cases. And I think about this music, to your point, Meg, it's not the most continuous jam. And mm -hmm. we would get, jams that like were more fluid by the summer by the fall but it's them just saying we have to kind of work through this right now in this moment and if we lose some of the listeners i we think that we're gonna actually gain more more ears by getting through what we need to get through which i think they ultimately would yeah i think it's a great call to suggest the uh segmented jams the experimentation uh, connect to 95 uh, in structurally, if although not necessarily musically or tonally. And um, I think that's, there was, uh, Meg, you mentioned the going to Europe as an opportunity to explore. I think they were taking advantage of the, uh, let's see, the, the old fashioned uh, record label ways, you know, Electra mm -hmm. saw an opportunity to capitalize on on the market there and send them over so they were like hell yeah let's go um, i think that's how that went back then and certainly in the 90s it used to be like that for touring acts um, on major labels uh, going back well into the 70s um, and so they were smart to take advantage of it and they really took full advantage of it mm -hmm. and so by the time they and they went back again so by the time they really started doing dates summer 97 they were a very different band and uh i think i think we can the band has said that the hamburg show the slip stitch and pass show is the you know the point at which they become the band that they are going to be for 1997 uh, but you can the door is opening right here and mm -hmm. they're getting ready to walk through uh, what a what a great fucking show I think I also, that whenever they're taking, oh, sorry, Brian, whenever they're taking risks like that, the songs that come before and after are always better too, because they feel free. They're listening to each other. They're, they feel open, connected, creatively fulfilled. I think that it always makes the show better whenever they're taking risks. Yeah. Well, they're, they're not going to take those risks unless they're in that good place. Right. So the show, yeah, right. song that comes before, that's when they realize, okay, this is feeling good. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go. And, 
and then everything that follows is riding the high, even if it mm -hmm. is, you know, a straight ahead version of uh, Susie or uh, what do we, yeah, Susie's a perfect mm -hmm. example. And then, you know, they encore with Sleeping Monkey because they've had a great time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it's Europe 97. Uh, these people are touring on the train. So right. that's pretty great. I'm too. on the train. The, the idea of Europe is, is also interesting to me in the sense that like you think about the summer 96 tour, which Meg, you were, you were on a lot of that. Um, if not the entirety of it, um, they, Rob Mitchum, a uh, friend of the pod was writing about summer 96 last year and wrote about how in a lot of parts of Europe, they were getting hissed and that being hissed was not a good thing in any sort of way. Um, and they were being like catcalled and whistled in France, which is actually a sign that they don't like you. Um, and, you know, throughout that tour, they're opening for Santana in these giant venues and then playing a couple one-off gigs uh, in Amsterdam and in London. And I almost wonder if they looked at it and were like, you know, along with Electra, like, well, we can sell out a... 3,500 person room over here, 1,200 person room over here in a way that we simply can't, we can't play that anymore in the United States, but at the same time, we can kind of go over here and nobody's really paying attention to us. Um, and, yeah. you know, you're talking 1997 technology. Most people weren't getting these tapes for months after these shows were happening. It'd be a very different story if Fish was playing Europe right now. and We were all following every single move that they were making. So there's this weird combination of like, we're this really big band that just played an 80,000 person festival six months earlier, but we fly five hours and nobody cares about who we are. And yet we need to, we know consciously we need to go through some sort of a evolution. This is the perfect place to do it because you can do it with the eyes who are on you or our eyes who either are slightly indifferent and have just heard you and they're going out for a concert or there are people who have followed you from America and are like super, super dedicated and are going to listen and take the time to try to understand where you're going. Um, the faithful. It's going to be such a freeing place. Yeah. And I think like when they went in 96, it was their first time and they took it more of like, yeah, this is a chance to blow off steam and get away from the pressures. But it seems like in 1997, they went there with a purpose to consciously change yeah. their style. And I think that that, shows their maturity as well as a band and shows their ability, like you were saying, Jonathan, to use what the record label was willing to pay for and actually like develop a new style. And I think that that is just awesome and just shows who they are and that they were able to take that moment and really push. I mean, you know, especially looking at the summer 97 Europe tour, and maybe we should talk about some of those in the summer, but like they're, I mean, these, these Amsterdam shows are so incredible. They're so incredible. Yeah, I'll be pedantic and say they did go over in, was it 92, Brian? Is it the oh, yeah, summer 92. I think it was opening as well for the Violent Femmes. Yeah, it was It was a small, it was wow. much smaller than the Santana run. And uh, yeah. and yeah, I mean, I think the Santana tour was a little bit of, it was camp. You know, they, they were hanging out with Santana, sitting in with Santana, hanging out with his band and played a few shows on the side. And I mean, I don't have to tell you, right? Cause you were there. Damn it. Um, I was home with a baby. Um, but, they, uh, <laughs> but, but, but this was, you know, this was their tour, this right here. Yeah. And then the next yeah. one, this was, yeah. 
you know, so it was a little bit different. Uh, the stakes were maybe higher, but uh, the, uh, the opportunities were greater too. So, I also I wonder, I really like, it. you know, just personally, like there's, there's something about like a coming of age experience of traveling around Europe and Trey and Fish busked around Europe in the 80s. They never played any formal shows, but like Harry Hood came from a beach <laughs> in, I think, Italy after a near death experience that Trey had and he came back and just started playing the DAG chords over and over again and built it up. And, you know, who, who knows who on that beach heard, heard the first take of, of the Harry Hood jam, <laughs> something that like we all chase. They, nobody they wrote, that cared. You know, yeah. Nobody <laughs> that cared. They wrote, you enjoy myself over there. You know I mean? You've got to imagine 12 years later, they're now at a point where, I mean, this is what they do. Nobody has side gigs. They are musicians and they are, this is their, their life's goal and their life's work at this point. And they've returned to Europe now to play their own tour. Um, I want to put out two quick stats that I find really, really interesting based on this specific show. One is Susie Greenberg is played, which seems, Oh yeah. Susie Greenberg late in the second set. Of course, little dose of energy. If you look at the fishnet stats and you go back through 1996, pretty much every version is played within like a four or five show rotation. It's played about 18 times. I, I don't have the exact count, but like, you know, it's, it's close to 20 times played in 1996. They play it here, 217, three shows uh, since the, the last performance on New Year's Eve. They play it again on 223 and then again on 318. And then they will not play it again for 48 shows, 112997. Mm. After that, 42 shows, 8698, 29 shows, 112498, 26 shows, 72599, and then another 26 shows, 10899, and then it starts to come back into the rotation. Susie is one of the songs that is on kind of the chopping block at the end of this tour where they talk about this in the fish book. Um, the band at the end of this tour was like, we need to just cut a bunch of songs and incorporate a ton of new songs into the set list. Tweezer after this tour would not be played again until the gorge. It's, it's interesting to hear Susie in the context of this set that has so much uh, like transgressive music and so much change happening in it. And then you hear this old staple that will almost all but disappear after this for, for the coming 10 or 11 months and they play the shit out of it. So it's not like, you know, they hate the song or whatever, but it is stylistically rigid as compared to a lot of the material they're bringing in. So something's got to give, I guess. uh, It's funny that you say that too, because I, that song, I, I saw the most fish I've ever seen in 1996 and I, Still to this day, I'm like, I don't need to hear Susie anymore. And maybe it's because I heard it so much. I've never really knew that before. It's, it's like the people who were seeing the next couple of years were saying, you know, came away saying, I don't need to see character zero. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because Susie's one of those songs that would benefit ultimately from this reinvention. You think about like the Darien Lakes version from 2000. Like that is, they, they somehow unlock that. Oh, wow. Susie Greenberg leads to this like crazy funk jam that we could play yeah. for 15, 16 minutes and just have the greatest time on. Um, the other thing I was looking at was uh, Sleeping Monkey, Rocky Top. Because when I was listening to this, I was like, man, this really sounds like a 97 encore. So they played it this night. 
They would not play Sleeping Monkey again until uh, 8-13-97. They then played it on 12-6-97, which comes towards the end of the second set, goes into Tweezer Reprise. They played on 12-30-97, and then they returned to at the end of the second set on 4-2-98, Twist into Sleeping Monkey into Rocky Top. These two songs that, like, to me, and maybe it's just how much I've listened to 4298 and 12697. <laughs> These songs just sound paired together like a 97 encore. And it's, I mean, it's way rarer than I remembered. They had played them together for, you know, about a dozen times prior to this incident. They, those two songs quite often went together, going all the way back to, oh, let's see, off the top of my screen, 31992. So, yeah. I mean, they they they'd done that a lot and uh so it's 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 it they they go together in my brain as well it's really fun almost as much as a sleeping monkey tweezer reprise (laughs) that's the best it's a great pairing yeah it's a great pairing um anything else we want to say about this show specifically before we move into big takeaways i think just listening to that whole down with disease Karini taste reprise is pretty awesome. It's a pretty good chunk of music that just is pretty interesting to listen to as like one kind of piece of music. It's fluid. Mm -hmm. I think fluid is a great word. Um, I don't, I don't think I can, I can improve on that comment. I think this, it's, it is. It's a, just a great slab of music, and and you should take it all together. You should not piecemeal the Carini. You need to listen to it in in the proper context. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is, you know, I've listened through the fall ninety or the uh, winter ninety seven tour, and there are some great moments. Two twenty six is a fantastic show if you haven't listened to that. It's filled with rarities. It's really kind of bizarre to listen to. Three one obviously was released as slip stitch and pass. There are great moments, but it's clear that they're when they leave that winter tour, they go to I think Beersville at that point in time, Bearsville at that point in time, and start to just jam. And then they emerge back with all these new songs and play the summer tour, which has some higher highs. The thing that fascinates me about this set is that it's so effortless and that fluidity that you're talking about, Maggie, like is just the, the, what they are going to achieve on summer tour. You think about like the disease and the gin from the great went, what they're going to achieve on fall tour in its best moments are these effortless moments where like, you know, ultimately the band is not, is almost not even trying and they end up just like finding themselves in a segment of music of songs that maybe shouldn't go together, but work together perfectly, you know, and that's like the brilliance 97 and it happens here almost out of surprise. And then they're going to go back to just like trying really, really hard for the next two weeks to find this magic again. And that kind of experience is going to lead them to just working really hard, but also realizing that they need to stop working so hard, which is kind of the goal. Like the, the, the theme of 97 is they stop trying so hard and the magic happens. And that's, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Isn't that what, uh, 
saves the great went in their minds at least i didn't hate that first set but you know they were <laughs> that's such an that interesting was the, moment yeah <laughs> right isn't that the thing like they were like yeah. oh god damn i was so frustrated and, and we had to just stop stop analyzing and just relax Quiet. and then mm -hmm. and then it it definitely got better after that set but uh <laughs> yeah so I want to ask you guys, we've talked a bit about this, but I want to ask you all for some um, some answers on the record, okay, about this show. Megan, what jams or jam from this show do you think most impacted the band as they moved into this new sound and era from the, of 1997? I mean, I think it has to be the Karini. I mean, it's just too unique, too different, too patient you know i think that that's really the takeaway i think they were really trying to slow down consciously and this karini you can even hear them it's such a slowly played intro and you can hear them kind of working it out i mean it's the first time they played it but you can also just hear the patience in the jam in a way that i think is new and they're just giving themselves time so to me that really i think impacts where they're going It's boring podcast, no debate here. I think the Karini is really the thing. I mean, they come out with the new song. Soul Shakedown Party isn't the song that changes the band in this show. It's a new song too, but uh, it's the Karini. They're showcase the new thing and they find all kinds of different pockets they can dive into with it. And, you know, it, it's unlocking doors um, and, I think it's it's a big deal for them. It's a big deal for us. So I agree with you both, but for the purposes of podcasting and debate, I'm going to offer <laughs> just another idea because I think the show actually has two of these moments. Yeah. Uh, the gin. Uh, <laughs> the gin. And, and I think just specifically what I was talking about, that idea of like Trey is, it's almost like, you know, Bath of Gin is one of those fish songs that he, that they feels like they can play in their sleep. And if they want to, they just like go into double time. Trey just like goes an octave up and they just start like shredding, 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 return to the theme. And everyone's like, Oh my God, that was the greatest moment of my entire life. You know, <laughs> And he's like, fuck it. We're not going to do that right now. And he's just starting to like play these weird distorted chords. And he's just pushing against the theme of the song. And it's when fish puts that disco beat in that it's like, whether they know it or not, that is, that is the sound going forward. And, and I don't know how much that, you know, at this point, if they're walking off stage being like, let's try that again in a different song and they play it in Karini, or if it was just like a moment that like a thousand other just passed them by and they were turned to later, who knows? But that to me, when I hear it, I'm like, man, that is, that is an early side of 1997. And that is always something I wonder about. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I know they they stopped analyzing, right? But I, I yeah. always wonder, mm -hmm. like, did that moment mean as much to them as it did to me? <laughs> I think some of them they do, right? Yeah. I, I feel like, like, too, like yeah. you hear about like them. I mean, Trey talked about like the Ruby Waves from Alpine Valley, right? I mean, I think right. there's jams that definitely they they know. Um, but and I think there's a, a couple other. So yeah, to the Valley. I think there's a couple jams on this tour, actually, in this first early shows, like The Hood from Shepherd's Bush on 213. This like a really slow build. There's no like rush to peak. There's a jam after Punch You in the Eye that night. That's really cool. 
There's also 2001 and Hood again from 2000 from 218. There's a couple of jams in these shows that that are slower and you can hear them trying stuff out. It's pretty cool. So I think it's worth listening to some of these shows, especially if you're like really interested in 1997 and this is kind of the birth, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always it's it's why I love Fall '96, especially in November, is you hear post Remain in Light, a mm-hmm. band that has kind of found a sound, and while it's rougher around the edges, it's not as sleek as you get in '97. You hear moments throughout, and I think you're absolutely right. It's it's then you fuse this. Nobody is paying attention to us, and we were playing in tiny rooms again for the first time in five years. We're going to play whatever we want that you get out of a lot of those jams that you listed. It's it's pocketed moments. That's really interesting. So next question for you all. This show to me, I think that I've built a fair argument around this. We'll let our dear listeners uh, uh, answer this as well. And anyone who's listening right now, please feel free to throw answers in the comments here to these questions. We would love to shout them out. Um, this show feels like a line in the sand moment to me. And that disease, Karini, taste, disease specifically feels like a line in the sand. Can you name any other shows through Fish History that to you feel like a line in the sand? Marat, 93. It's a good one. That's a really good one. Speaking of good bathtub gins. Yeah, that feels like one. Yeah. Um, I, and in fact, I had almost venture to say that the uh the first show of 93 with the when they bring the piano it mm. long time hf pod listeners know that it has been talked about a lot on this show uh and it's it's there's good reason because it really changed pages approach to playing which changed everything yeah yeah and that show yeah that show definitely feels like when they walked off stage after that gin mm-hmm. uh, in Marat, like we were just able to do something that we've been trying to do, but we haven't done like that. And how do we do that again? <laughs> and how do we do it tomorrow? <laughs> what about you, Meg? You got any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm not as good as thinking about the big kind of historical context as you both are, but it was interesting when I was thinking about that they were trying to do something new. They were debuting a lot of songs, especially in the summer part of this uh, tour. They were experimenting with new rig setups. I think Mike had a new bass in this uh, European tour. Trey is adding the percussion to his setup. It kind of reminds me of the beginning of 4.0, a time when they came out, they had a lot of new music. They're trying all these different sounds and they're really trying different kind of jamming. Now we know it's really influenced from the sci-fi soldier work they're going to do which we're going to talk about next week. But it's, to me, a little bit interesting to think about just at the beginning of 4.0 really sounded like something new to me. I think that's a really good point. I think, like, you listen to the – I remember watching the webcast from Arkansas and thinking, especially during the simple, like, these are new sounds that we have not mm-hmm. heard before, and this is a really interesting <sighs> – this is a really interesting approach that I'm curious to hear where the band goes with this. And it feels very risky, but then also seeing Coretta's lights and thinking to myself, Oh my God, like from a, from an overall, just like presentation standpoint, like the entire band is presenting some new yep. idea mm-hmm. to us that would ultimately flourish over the next two months. Um, yeah. I'm thinking 3.0 
as well, the fuck your face show uh, really reminds me in a lot of cases like this, this Amsterdam show where I, I was in the venue at the time. And I remember just thinking to myself and jumping online afterwards and everyone had the exact same reaction of like, we haven't heard them do that in a long, long time. Something mm-hmm. is happening that is very, very different from what we've heard before. And how do they go back to that? Like pre, you know, pre fuck your face type of moment and while it took them time over the coming months and even over the coming year to really play those type of that type of show consistently um there it was clear that like the lessons of that show were felt the next night in the light the following night in the sand four months later in the tweezer in the carini um you know as they would play through that summer 2013 tour there were moments that would bubble up the tweezer from tahoe all that sort of stuff i think there's a whole episode in here um because you know one could argue that fairly well might be Definitely. one of those lines uh one could argue for 2193 and it's funny that and and i don't think insignificant that i've that's the third 1993 point that i've i've selected but that's of course the the show where they really finally cracked split open and melt and mm, uh they yeah. even used that for demand on hoist um bomb factory yeah Definitely. that second set that tweezer there's nothing like that prior to that second set right so yeah i mean i i think there's we should just just pencil it in, Brian. I think we'll have to do a whole episode on these things. This is a good that would a good be cool off off tour topic as well. As we we, yeah. we need plenty of these for for the off touring months. I'm going to shout out listener Brett Wooden, uh, um, who throughout eight twenty two fifteen, which I totally agree with. That you get a three set show. First set's great afternoon festival fish, but second set you've got this absolutely amazing forty six days tweezer in that incredible caspian uh third set blazon light cities fourth set the drive-in gym which felt like such a peak moment and oh, one of the greatest fish experiences i've ever had um a, good call. <clears throat> a couple more questions mm-hmm. for you guys so they would return to amsterdam just under five months later Played two shows, two very, very good shows, one of which opens up with a 20-minute ghost, has an incredible second set. Another one has an amazing 30-minute stash in it, some of the most beautiful, beautiful jamming possible. How do these shows compare to those? How does this show compare to those in your thoughts? I kind of feel like the first set sounds like 1996, and then the second set sounds more like those shows. To me, it's kind of like the first set's like belongs the other side and this set, the second set belongs like closer. It's so cool that they decided to release them all together as the box set because the Paradiso is obviously like a special place for them. I mean, they obviously play, they're just some venues that that fish lights up. And I think this is obviously one of them. And I think that like thinking of how they were playing when they came back in July, it, it's just after spending all that time writing Story of the Ghost and having all these new songs and it's just coming in, I mean, they are absolutely on fire. I mean, that second set on night two is four songs. I mean, it's like insane. Stash, Llama, Wormtown Jam, Waiting in the Velvet Sea. So maybe even only three songs if you don't include the jam. I mean, it's just, it's bananas. They're so patient and so locked in in these shows. And I, I love listening to them. 
Yeah, I I got to say, I, I tend to agree here. I don't even know what I'm doing here. Megan's got all this covered. The um, She does. She really has this covered. <laughs> this is her zone. I learned uh, from you. The, uh, the, the band is, is, it's the same band in the second tour as it is in the second set, uh, just with more songs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they're, and, and, uh, it, there's so many great shows in that tour the Lille show the uh, Copenhagen you know so such great music that um god I don't, I'm kind of speechless about it 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 it's really a big jump um I prefer the winter summer 97 to the fall stuff myself I'm not a huge fall mm-hmm. 97 guy um I just I think the experimentation is more free flowing. Um, there's certainly a lot of fire in the fall. I'm not here to, to knock those shows. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm into the weirder, some of the weird shit. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, I, 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 I think they, they just keep building. This is still fish is still building on itself a lot, um, at this time. So that's what you get. Yeah. I think I love the breakdown of like set one of this show is, 96 fish set two is these first shows of the, is, is the first hint at the summer. I think that the one thing I'll add is like this show opens up with a soul shakedown party, which uh, you know, will be played once more in the winter and then will not return until 2.0 22803. Um, but that sound, that groove seemed to really influence the rest of 1997, 98, and even into 99, 2000. But then 7197 opens up with a 20 minute ghost. And like, it's almost like they walk on stage on 7197 and they're like, okay, we're back. We were in this room six months ago, five months ago, and we're back with some really new sounds. And we're going to show I love this ghost. It's so good. Let me show you my new shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, last last question for you all because we've already recommended a jam. I think we're going with the Carini and the Gin as the jams that we're recommending. Um, super fun question for you all. What did Fish do during the day of two seventeen ninety seven in Amsterdam? Sleep, Van Gogh Museum. <laughs> That's my. I think they probably handled it a lot different than when they were there in 1996, <laughs> which I would also like to say, I think if I had gone back for this 1997 tour, I would have handled it a lot different too. So I have to give them a lot of credit for going in with some discipline. But there is a really great story in the Fish Book about how they partied the night before the Mark Tall show in Hamburg, which is pretty hilarious. And they were drinking some like Dr. Joe's knockout punch and seems like they were super raging before that show. And that show ended up being incredible, but I don't know. So maybe they were raging the night before, but I think they were definitely sleeping during the day. I think you're right. I think they were playing it really, really, really smart, really tight this time. Yeah. The first time you go to Amsterdam, you go crazy. You see the first coffee shop and you're like, I'm going there. "Ah." You know nothing about it. And you just go in and you walk out and you're, you're like, wow, there are people that work in this city like how is this city still standing it's like time you go back you realize like you know what's like the best part about amsterdam like the actual coffee shops like the coffee coffee <laughs> shops vondel park which probably isn't that nice mm-hmm. in february but also to jonathan's point the van gogh museum 
It's absolutely fucking stunning. It's an incredible place to go. And you realize how much creativity there is in the city of Amsterdam. And I've got to imagine that was on the itinerary. And then they went there and said, let's apply that in a musical term. And that's what they did. They probably played some chess too. There's a lot of outdoor chess in Amsterdam. And there I know is. I know Fishman played so much chess on 1996 tour. So maybe they're playing some chess outdoors. I, I, would, cold. I would a little cold and a little chilly by the by the chess. canals, but you know, the worms are there to keep you warm. <laughs> the back of the um, worm. Back of the worm. Well, this was a fantastic deep dive back into 21797. I want to thank you guys. Um, we will be back. Next Wednesday, February 9th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, which is also 2.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And if you were here at the start of this episode, you know that we walked you all the way back to Alaska. Um, quick programming note. Um, this came down the pike just before we went live. So um, we will be talking to Chris Pandolfi of the infamous String Dusters. We'll be revisiting Sci-Fi Soldiers in the very near future because we want to talk as it's been awesome. a couple of months since Sci-Fi Soldiers. But Chris Pandolfi is going to be available to talk through some fish, some infamous String Sweet. Dusters tour, and talk through um, his his uh, third season of uh, Inside the Musician's Brain on Osiris Media. So very, very excited about that. How exciting. I can't wait. He's an awesome dude. If you haven't seen the infamous String Dusters, they are an incredible live band. And um, it's going to be really cool to talk with him about fish and about just music in general. Um, we will definitely, <clears throat> definitely return to Sci-Fi Soldiers, though, because I have thoughts, John has thoughts, Megan has thoughts, and we need to dive back into what that means as we move into the next phase of Fish 4.0, if you Game will. Game Inch 4.0. Game Inch 4.0. <laughs> 2,000 years in the future. Before we go, though, I want to remind you all. Well, actually, Megan will remind you all of our sponsor. Yeah, I want to tell you about our good friends at Sunset Lake CBD. I ordered some products last night. I ordered some gummies. I have a friend who's been having some trouble sleeping, so I thought this would be a nice gift for her. Let me just tell you, they were shipped out this morning. I ordered them last night. They're already en route. I've heard that they get their products out super fast, and that's great. And that's because they're a farmer-owned business, and they ship their products directly from their farm to your door. So for years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm, and they were producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. And in 2018, they diversified, started growing hemp for CBD. And they've got a product for everyone. We know Brian likes their pre-rolls. I'm eager to try those. They've got hemp cigars, hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD coffee, which sounds super cool. It's crafted to help stress, aches, and pains. And they save a lot, you a lot of money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. So you can go to sunsetlakecbd.com, and you can use the promo code HFPOD. You get 20% off your purchase. So that's sunsetlakecbd.com, and the promo code is HFPOD. Beautiful. I can't Sorry. wait for those to arrive in you to know the benefits of Sunset Lake. I'm excited. Um, thank you, guys. This was a ton of fun. And I will see you, both of you, as well as everyone out there listening, next week, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Take care until then. Bye-bye. Thanks, all. Bye, guys.
Osiris. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.